so welcome everyone to another one of our Ignatian conversations. Today we're exploring the topic of pilgrimage and discernment. How we are on a journey in our lives, following the example of Ignatius, following the example of Jesus, so many others who have also been on the way. I'm excited today to have uh, Dan Annarelli, a history teacher, a travel expert, and uh, Ignatian guide, uh, talking today around this topic of pilgrimage and discernment. Thanks, Bob, for having me, and uh, excited to talk about some of these topics. Um, to, to be clear about, about pilgrimage, I, the word itself has always been a bit of a challenge for me because it, it has a connotation of a deeply religious movement that you have to get from point A to point B in a very pious, orthodox exercise along the way. And that at the conclusion of it, you have the fulfillment of some sort of goal or uh, question answered by God because you've done what it is that you, you believe he asked you to do in this pilgrimage. And so it's always been very challenging for me because I never have personally felt called to make a pilgrimage to Lourdes or to Fatima, or follow in some medieval pilgrimage the way that it traditionally has been defined. And yet I oftentimes find myself resonating with this idea of being on a journey, but the goals, the outcomes, the answers to the questions are oftentimes much more unclear. Sometimes the result of the journey is that there are more questions left unanswered than what I had set out to solve in the first place. And yet I find a very comforting notion of being on the journey. There's something really attractive to me about being on the way. And that's where I find the purpose itself. It's not in the outcome, it's not at the end. It's not necessarily even in the questions at the beginning it's in the experience of doing the journeying. And so uh, that's how I've kind of come to define pilgrimage in my life. Well, I love that description um, that you're offering, Dan, because I think it, it speaks to um, something that we, we see a lot nowadays, especially with kind of the interest in something like the, the, um, the Camino uh, in, in Spain, you know, where you get people along the way, um, that are journeying for many different uh, religious reasons, but now also for many uh, just, just out for a hike, we're just exploring kind of other questions of meaning and purpose. And I think it's, it's something that we see a lot uh, now is, um, and I, I don't know the reason why necessarily it would be the case, but that there is this, this need for, uh, desire for meaning and purpose that sometimes is connected to journeys, sometimes ones that were identified as ones with a kind of his, a religious purpose uh, in the past. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I, I think it was like Nietzsche or some, um, some philosopher who wrote that all, the only ideas worth considering are those that come from walking. Mm. Mm -hmm. or some, something like that, right? That, but the, and I find myself 
oftentimes agreeing that there's my best ideas, my most clear understanding of things when I need to clear my head or recalibrate, I go for a walk. And I think that that's, there's something to the actual movement of a person um, and the way the relationship between your body and mind works where you, you get this sense of clarification. And uh, there's no better way to do it than to, than to oftentimes just pick up and go for a walk. And maybe that's what people are looking for is a little bit of clarity and clear headedness as they, um, as they answer the questions to their, to their lives. Yeah, I think it was a conversation I had with uh, John Vela on philosophy and discernment. I think he was talking about that uh, Nietzsche had said something along the lines that all the books I ever written were written while walking. Um, right. And he also, I think, tied in the idea that uh, the early, the Greeks and their philosophy schools were often ones that where people would, they would walk around and they, mm -hmm. would, they would talk. They were in motion. There's something about these historic examples uh, which highlighted this truth about the connection of the physicality of, of who we are and the thinking process that perhaps over time we were, we, we lost. I think now, you know, with a holistic education and different ways of learning, we have a much better sense of that, the integration of those two things. But, but for a time, I think perhaps it was that enlightenment idea that separated the mind from the body or other, you know, Christian ideas that did the same. But there is some really deep truth about that, that connection. I know for myself often, like I love to, to jog and if I don't get out and walk as well, I mean, so many ideas come to me as the result of either on those trips or, or, or soon after them. So it's a, it's a key, a key part, I think, of what we're invited to, to do in life. And of course, then, you know, in this context, talking about uh, the relationship to St. Ignatius, something that characterized his, his life in so many ways, right? Outside of whatever kind of pilgrimages he might have gone on, he, he walked a lot. He traveled he sure did, many yeah. different places, right? And how much those, both those journeys and the locations he ended up in shaped himself, shaped who he was, not necessarily as final destinations, but rather as points along a much larger journey. Yeah, and I think to, to a large degree, uh, Ignatius was seeking the same things that uh, we were just talking about, right? He was, he was seeking meaning, pur purpose, fulfillment, in, uh, in, in his life's work and the journey itself lended a kind of clarity to him that uh, is very clearly written into his spirituality. And the people that he came into contact with you know, certainly helped to, um, to mold and shape his process. And I think in the end, you know, you, we started talking about pilgrimage and discernment Maybe that's what we're really getting to is that when you have this decision to make or a question that's been kind of picking away at you, um, it's always a good idea to, to take yourself on a little bit of a, of a journey uh, of, of answering those questions. No, that's so true. It makes me think of just the need to have space sometimes to let the ideas kind of be sifted around and some of my other conversations with people around discernment, we talk about, you know, discernment is a kind of sifting of moving uh, between allowing different ideas to kind of be um, 
spread through your fingers, as it were, to kind of find where you want to, to grab hold and how oftentimes that requires a little time or it requires a little space to have the ability to really let the ideas uh, settle in and know which ones are the ones that are worth following. I'm, I'm Absolutely. Curious. Yeah, yeah it's, it's about freedom, I think. You know, you need to have the time, the space, and the freedom. And I think that's how Ignatius understood freedom in the sense of knowing that there are choices. And there are so many. That, that's partly why this moment of quarantine is so difficult for a lot of people, because we all want answers and we look for a resolution to some of the uncertainty out there. And we can even be okay with being at home if we know it's for the greater good of society or, or our relatives, et cetera. But the freedom of being able to explore options and choice and to have, you know, another one of my great, uh, you know, challenges for me in Ignatian spirituality is this idea of Ignatian indifference and the idea that you, ex you freely explore and understand and acknowledge the various options that exist in a, in a life that is, you know, uh, consumed by, by, by will, right? You had the free will to choose to do so many different things. And yet you choose and you discern the one that you believe brings you closest to God, knowing that there are other options out there but that you chose the best one for you and you are indifferent to the others. And it's really hard because we like choice and we like option and we like freedom. But for him, we had to be okay with letting go of all the other options that may exist out there. And that's kind of hard about right now of being in quarantine and not having that, that freedom and it, it can make it very difficult to discern in the process too. I think that's, that's a good point. So many things have been removed from us. So many things are not part of what normally would be a kind of set of options for us to, to choose from or, or, or simply to be nourished by in some ways. And that I think often inhibits our ability to, to have a balanced view, you know, like normally we're used to discerning or thinking we're sifting in a context where I know myself, I know my situation, and now I'm kind of choosing between things, projecting out different possibilities for the future. But now we're in a situation where in some ways we don't know ourselves in the same way that we did before. Mm -hmm. uh, we're disconnected from our normal routines and our normal work. And although obviously there's not, it's not like we, we have no idea who we are anymore, but there is, there's some level of remove from that, that certainty. And the options in front of us that we're choosing for, for, in front of, uh, they don't have the same certainty and the difficulty in that. I think often, you know, in those early days of uh, St. Ignatius, when we see him make this change in life uh, in his initial conversion there at, at Loyola and deciding to live a different life from kind of that of the heroic uh, warrior to now following the example of the saints, there was much that was clouded, I think, for him as well, right? Perhaps the, uh, I don't know what the right word is, mistake is probably too strong to say in those early days for him, though, was to think that he could have the certainty 
that uh, one life was left behind and another was taken up, when in fact it was just the beginning of a journey uh, where he would have to learn many more things along the way. And for me, the indifference, I think, is often such a key part in how many things we have to let go of, not just in the choices that we have, but just in opportunities or ideas of ourselves or, and I think as we see Ignatius over time in the journey that he made from Loyola to uh, Montserrat and then to Manresa, some significant steps in the need to let go of his own sense of identity and to become indifferent to the choices he was, he was confronting. Yeah, and there's this kind of like duality to it all the time of like the what the life that he thought he was going to live and then was sort of rejected from being able to live that and whether that's from the cannonball incident of when he was infirmed and no longer able to live the life of a warrior or whether it's from the rejection of people that he encountered along the way when he tried to proselytize and he tried to talk about his life, his, his, his goals of um, you know, being a missionary, having people join him in the, in the journey to the Holy Land. And then when he actually got to the Holy Land and he was rejected and told to go home, that he wasn't fit for the work, that he, was, uh, you know, he wasn't a good uh, you know, fit for that order and had to go back to plan B and, and choose a different option. And the letting go of those things and the indifference to how it is that God sees it for you is something that's critical to his, to his being. And that duality is seen in other areas too. You see the duality also in his description of consolation and desolation, which is one of the things that I know we wanted to talk about today as well. And I think that's something that's always appealed to me because of the psychological underscoring that is so implicit in those ideas of consolation and desolation, that it's, it's sort of you're, you're either living in a state of consolation, which is bringing you closer to God, or you're living in a state of desolation, which is bringing you farther from God. And yet, we, we can't think of it in terms of, well, I'm, I'm in a good mood today, and so I must be feeling consolation, and I'm in a sad mood to, tomorrow, and so I must be feeling desolation. And we put on the consolation jersey one day and the desolation jersey the next day. And are we, we wear it as an emotion. Um, these, this duality is part of the larger ethic of what I think Ignatian spirituality is all about. It's like the tension of you know, multiple ways of being and, and of living and of in being in relationship with God. And there are times I know in my life when I feel like I'm in, in a state of both, where I'm aware of the options, but I have to be indifferent to how it might end up because if I'm too attached to the way things are, the way that they used to be, or too attached to the way that I think they should be, then I'm not opening myself up to the way that could be what God wants or the way that, or somebody else's uh, leadership that that could be a more um, appropriate answer to the question. And the same is true for consolation and desolation, where on the one hand, I may feel very much attuned to 
what it is that God is calling from me in one situation and in one relationship. And that can bring me a great sense of consolation and attachment and, uh, and unity with, with God in, through this relationship. But if there's another relationship or another area of my life where I'm feeling weakness and vulnerability. And it's not one or the other. They're oftentimes in harmony with each other and in tension with each other. And that's what makes up our life. No, it's one of the, I think, amazing insights of Ignatius to uh, highlight how we can deepen in this awareness of who we are and what our emotions and other kind of spiritual movements are telling us about how we're called to live. Um, when we think about his con time and context and this idea to be both so aware of the individual in, a, in an age that, you know, the individual had its role, but also, you know, this was a very communal time in society. But to be able to be, have such attention to those individual uh, emotions and feelings and, and to kind of intuitively come up with many of the practices that are recognized by psychology and others today, not only those psychological recognitions about emotions and their impact, but this idea of deeper uh, spiritual movements. It's one of those things I think is always so hard to talk about because it, like any kind of practical wisdom, is only something that's understood uh, in uh, reality. But um, there's so many cases, right, where we can be in situations where we are thinking we've made it, right? We, you know, we, uh, let's say an example of someone who's done very well at school, they went to law school, they're working at a, at a big firm. They've worked hours and hours and hours. Now they make partner. And now this is it, right? This is the dream that I've worked for so long. And yet there's no sense of happiness or no sense of fulfillment, right? Um, I mean, you think about the, uh, you know, the story that someone like uh, Jamal will, Jamal Adams will tell about his experience, you know, working on Wall Street and find, you know, I think finding a lot of fulfillment in that. But at the same time, being drawn to something else, right? And feeling that, no, this transition in life to a very different kind of uh, role as teacher and coach is the one that will bring me a deeper sense of satisfaction. It's not something that is, to your point, Dan, that you know, it just over the course of like one day, oh, this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. I think often we'll, uh, we'll think, or I've wanted to myself have like an insight. Like if I go on a retreat or if I just pray hard enough for a day, then I'll know, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do because it feels right in that moment, right? But often this, this sorting is one that requires time where I have to be able to notice the pattern. What kinds of things do I do that lead me to a place of desolation over time? And what things, although they might be difficult things, will lead me to a place where I find ultimate consolation. Right? And I totally agree. Yeah. It's, it's about, and, and again, freedom and time is, I think, for, for Ignatius and in, for, in our understanding of Ignatius in a, a practice in our life is reflection we need to have the freedom and the time for reflection so that we can actually take a moment to stop and ask ourselves that question. What is it that is 
leading me to this, this feeling of desolation? And what is it that leads me to that sense of myself that is, I think, innate to us all, where we know, we recognize ourselves for a moment, and we recognize what it is that's bringing us closer to God, that we've taken the time to reflect on what those things are rather than just being on the, on the hamster wheel. And, you know, when you brought up the question about, you know, satisfaction versus success and, and following all of these criteria as you enter into your adult life and checking off all of the boxes of what you're supposed to do that ultimately equal success, you know, it reminded me of uh, an article that I read, I think I was in college, and I remember sitting on the steps of my dorm room with some friends of mine and talking about it. And it was an article in the New York Times called Success and Satisfaction Are Different. And we actually took the time to really stop and digest that and ask ourselves what we really wanted out of life. And we were young and we didn't know then. And I think in some ways people are still on that pilgrimage to find out, you know, what it is. And I feel so blessed to be part of a tradition of Ignatian discernment that opens up the invitation and the opportunity for reflection on those topics. And by no means do I have it figured out one way or the other, but it's through those moments of reflection, through the time that we give ourselves to confront our truest desires and our and our behaviors and our habits and then to identify where it is that we are in union with what we know I think internally and I think we sense it in the depths of our being what it is that we are called to do that makes us most fulfilled and it's oftentimes not the same thing as what society or other external stimuli tell us that they are. Uh, and it's that kind of self-awareness that is just so critical. And it's just a big part of Ignatius's explanation for how we, how we become, you know, what we can be. And, and the thing that keeps on, that comes back to me in these moments is even when I don't know, even when I do take the time to reflect and question and, and, and answer those questions as best I can, I hope that I've developed enough healthy habits in my life that I'm that I know that I'm working towards it, that I'm on the journey towards it, and that's the process. And I go back to the the adage of uh, "age quod agis," do what you are doing. And as long as you're doing the work and you're doing it the best way that you know how, in those moments, and hopefully taking the time to reflect and and adjust as you need to as you go that it's in the work itself that you'll begin to develop that awareness of and that recognition of what it is that we're called to. Absolutely. I think it's, it's so important to recognize that the, the marker of how we're doing is not that we're constantly making like right decisions, but rather how, for me, it's often how quickly am I able to recognize my mistake and, and change course? So for example, I think one of the things that I see over my, I hopefully am able now to have a better sense of when I've gone down the wrong path. And 
then the challenge I have to myself is, am I willing to admit that I have and go back? And whether that means to apologize for some, you know, something I had said that was wrong or a mistake that I had uh, made uh, or some other factor, it's often that, that's where I feel, feel the rub, that I, that I try to judge my progress by, <laughs> by how quickly I can correct from my mistakes not necessarily how successful I am at always choosing the right path forward. I take comfort in the fact that Ignatius made lots of, there were a lot of twists and turns on his um, pilgrimage. And, um, you know, he ended up in a lot of different places, including jail at a few times, and not necessarily through, through his own fault, but um, that, you know, you look at the apostles, those that followed Jesus, it's, it's a constant, a lineup of kind of twists and turns or, or mistakes on the way. Um, and so I think that's such an important part of a, a, a kind of, the, as you're saying, um, to do what we're doing and to be willing to, to discern as we go along, to learn in the midst of doing things. Ignatian spirituality, Ignatian discernment is very much about an active engagement in the world. It's not a sitting back and figuring everything out and then making it a choice or an action. Rather, it's, it's entering into the world and in the mixture and challenge of what's happening to discern um, both the outside external factors and what's happening for us inside. We can't really be discerning about consolation desolation if we're trying to remove ourselves entirely from the world. Rather, it's in it that we're getting the real data uh, that we need. And another really, I think, important insight that you're pointing to is just the way that it's it's about who we are. It's not about who anybody else is. It's not about uh, you know, what society expects or what our parents expect or what even about examples of people that we admire. That Ignatius had the insight to say it's about you being most fully who God has called you to be. That's the challenge. That's the struggle, to be most authentically who you are. And so that means, you know, some of my examples before might have implied that it's like just seeking one route that's the right route. It's not, you know, for some people, you're called to be the partner in the law firm, to serve in that way. You're called, right, to work on Wall Street. Ignatius, the Jesuits, they worked with kings and, and princes and queens and the royalty because they believed that there were people that was their calling, right? And then on the flip side, there are people that are called to renounce all that and to live a life of great simplicity um, and service. The key in Ignatian spirituality is to know what we, I, am called to. And it's only through this hard process of really getting in touch with ourselves that we're able to do that. Yeah, it's really practical, right? I mean, for, for a spirituality, you know, it, do, it doesn't have this sort of, it is austere. It is calling us to be very um, regimented in how we approach our lives, but it's not in that monastic sense. It's in a very practical lived experience. And yes, we have to interrogate it and we have to adjust it and we have to get better at it. But you're absolutely right when you look at the history of the Jesuits and where they chose to set up their uh, apostolates and, 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 and their mission. Uh, and, and if you see it even today, in every ma major city in the world, 
there's something that has a Jesuit stamp to it or a Jesuit backing uh, whether it's a parish or a mission or a school. And it's almost always in the heart of where people are. And they chose, I mean, he, he chose to set up, you know, his, uh, his church and his, and his life and his offices right at the corner in Rome where the, you know, um, the word what I'm looking for, but you know, you could say the, the nobles and the elites of, of Rome, you know, basically were, were a, a neighborhood away from uh, the most uh, defiled group in, in the city, you know, the, the beggars and the prostitutes. And he chose to be at the crossroads, literally the intersection of those two parts of the city. And it was by design. It was because he understood that we're, we're doing this version of our, of our journey and our spiritual uh, encounter with the world through a life that is dynamic and filled with relationships and messiness and worldliness and prayer at the same time. And it all coalesced in, in this experience. And so you're spot on when you talk about, you know, the, the way that uh, there's a practical dimension to this, this whole process. Right. I love that example of um, tying it to the physical location, you know, of Ignatius and where he, he decided to kind of place the Jesuits there in Rome. Because to bring back to the overarching kind of theme of our conversation of this idea of pilgrimage and how much how it, it matters where we place ourselves in the world, right? Both in where we, we live and we kind of, kind of set up shop, but also where we decide to move and our willingness to kind of move through the world, not staying just in the routes that we're comfortable with, but with ones and going into places where we believe that new worlds will be opened up to us whether that's through going to radically different places or simply being open to new experiences in places where we might regularly go and looking at a new spot or in looking in a new way. As we kind of draw to the, the end of our, our time together here, I just want to see if there's anything else you want to say kind of to this topic of pilgrimage and, and discernment. The only sort of last thought that I have in it, it relates a little bit to that idea of, of consolation versus desolation, but also in a, in a very real way, it relates to this idea of pilgrimage. And when you go on a journey, you're leaving a place that you've established roots, a place that you call home. And in the process of, you know, moving, uh, you, you have a very real sense of where that past was and what it was that makes you whole from those roots. And they're very important. And I think that Ignatius had a very strong sense of what it meant to be at home because he had a very strong connection geographically, as you well point out, to Northern Spain. And yet he never returned there after, you know, ultimately setting off to, you know, Montserrat, Manresa, Rome, etc. Um, so 
the idea, I think, for, for Ignatius, what comes out in his discussions of consolation and moving closer to God is this sense of going home. And it's part of the journey. You know, every journey ends at some point with going home. And it might even be establishing a new home. But there's a feeling and a comfort and a, and a sense of going home. Whereas desolation is a feeling of being disoriented and not near, you're not home. It's the opposite of that feeling where you don't have roots. You don't, you don't feel grounded. You may feel comforted for a moment. There are moments of desolation that can be comforting, quite, quite frankly. Um, if, you, if you're looking at purely at the, you know, the sort of the physical pleasures of life. But it's that feeling of being back to where you came from this feeling of going home. And I think that is a nice way to sort of round out this idea of pilgrimage because there's something always that's so nice. As a, as a traveler myself, as someone who's been on, you know, numerous dozens of trips, there's nothing quite like the satisfaction and, uh, and comfort of returning home. And I think that was a very real thing for Ignatius too. And I think he builds that into his sense of, of pilgrimage, discernment, consolation as well. No, it's a great image to kind of bring our time here together. Just this idea that uh, no matter what journeys we, we take, what pilgrimages we go out on, which routes we're, we're on, um, ultimately we're, we're on the journey to come back home and to be home both in that kind of physical sense of, of a, a home that we have and the emotional sense of the connections that we, we have with others and the spiritual sense of being home both with ourselves and with God. And so I think that's uh, <clears throat> certainly something that Ignatius was calling us to and a great image. One of the ones I think that helps us to kind of know, are we on the right path? Is one of those questions of how does this connect or relate to being at home? Well, Dan, thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time for this conversation. Thanks, Bob. It's been great.